Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Welcome in, everyone, to another Messy Spirituality Conversation. I am here with my good friend, author, former pastor, former professional wrestler extraordinaire, Todd Vick. Todd, how are you, brother? Doing good, man. It's good to, good to hear your voice yeah, it's again. It's good to see you. Uh, we are able to reconnect. It's been a while. So tell me what's been going on with you for the last several months. Well, I did this crazy thing. I decided to go back and finish my master's degree. Oh, God help you. Uh, in, in biblical counseling. So I'm struggling through that. Um, it's, uh, I went back to a conservative evangelical seminary, the one that I started at 20 years ago because it would take me the least amount of time to finish, but it's been a challenge to keep quiet. <laughs> so I would imagine they don't know what to make of you. Some don't. And I've, I've even admitted to being a little more progressive than most of the students, but I've had one call me a heretic. So I guess I'm doing the right, th- right stuff. <laughs> well, that puts you in some pretty good company, I guess. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Well, Okay, so what is your end game? What what would you do with that master's degree once you have it? Once I finish the master's, I'm going to start uh, working on the doctorate with uh, Thomas J. Ord. I'm very excited about that. Oh, awesome. Um, at his seminary. I'm very excited about the uh, open and relational uh, theology doctorate. I'm very excited about that. Well, that that will be tremendously easier uh, to uh, to relate to your fellow students, I'm guessing, at that point. I think so, yes. <laughs> How long do you think it's going to take you to finish that master's? Probably three years. Okay. Wow. So you've got your hands full for a while. Yeah, but I've had to put everything to the side, the podcast and other stuff, but um, it's, it's picking back up again. Okay. Well, you, and while you're in the midst of all this seminary, you've put out another book, and, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. What made you decide to take on reconstruction. I felt like I was going through it and had been going through it. And deconstruction, uh, as you know, is is not the end. It's only the beginning. A lot of people get stuck in the deconstruction part and they don't move on to some sort of a reconstruction. And so my book was just to say, hey, I'm, I know what you're going through and I'm here. Let's walk through this thing and see what we can find. Uh, and I made it very clear that their reconstruction journey is not going to be the same as mine. It's their unique situation, but just give us some things to think about along the way and get out of that rut of deconstruction because it's a, it's a lonely, lonely place and it's a bitter place. And I feel like people just did somebody to say, hey, take my hand, let's, let's go through this. Well, very good. You've done that really well. The Reconstruction of Your Mind, uh, it released uh, a couple of months ago, but um, I think it's still just timely for right where so many people are right now. Um, I talk to folks all the time on that deconstruction journey. And so often that deconstruct, you just deconstruct and deconstruct and deconstruct. And at some point you just get exhausted from all the deconstructing. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes many people feel like it's time to build something new. Right. And we don't really have a lot of roadmaps for that. And so I appreciate the fact that you've given us one with your new book. Um, What's the response been to it so far? Um, it's been mild. Um, people that have read it seem to have really enjoyed it. Uh, I guess the goal is just to get more people to read it. 
but it's that's never been what it's about for me. Um, if nobody reads it, that's fine. I put it out there. That's that was my heart, my a labor of love for everybody. Uh, hopefully, if one or two people get something out of it, then that would be well worth it to me. Oh, I'm sure a lot more are going to get something out of it than that. You've got a great uh, forward slash endorsement from Keith Giles on there. And Keith, uh, you know, is, is so influential in the deconstruction movement. Uh, before we get into reconstruction, let's talk, you, you lay out several different types. I think it was five types of deconstruction in your book. Um, and you kind of separate religious deconstruction from theological deconstruction. Let's talk about those. Uh, what's the difference and why does it matter? Um, that was just something that I thought that, uh, it's, it's certainly not academic. Um, and it shouldn't be in any textbooks. But uh, as I was thinking through it, I just thought, you know, here's some different types of deconstruction that I've observed. Um, mine was faith deconstruction, which is the whole kit and caboodle. Um, I went through a thing where I just didn't believe in anything for a little while. Um, I was afraid to because um, it, it had all just come crashing down and had no longer worked for me. Uh, and I began to just, I left it all behind and I'm, I just I'm to start fresh and see what's out there. Um, so I looked at Buddhism and Hinduism and things. Um, but there's, uh, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I know there's uh, church deconstruction where you are just kind of tired of the, the institution, um, not necessarily the church community or the church family, but you're just kind of tired of the politics and the institution itself. Uh, and then there's theological deconstruction where you're just kind of tired of talking about Calvinism and uh Arianism and things like that. And you just kind of want to get to something real. Uh, and I forgot what the other two are, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, that was, uh, that was the purpose of that was just kind of see what we're looking at, uh, as far as deconstruction goes. And we probably could have added 10 more to the list. Uh, but those were the ones that, that my little mind came up with. Okay. Well, very good. I thought that was really interesting. You, you dive in in one chapter to the cognition aspect of, uh, deconstruction. Uh, kind of the psychology behind deconstruction. What role does psychology play? Uh, the thing that I'm always impressed with with your books, Todd, is you're you're a deep thinker, but you're very approachable. So you you'll start off very conversationally and very relationally in your books, and then you hit us with a chapter on cognition right in the middle of it. So that, that's fantastic, and I always appreciate that, and it's always illuminating. But what role does uh, psychology play in deconstruction? It's, it's very important because uh, we have to get the right mindset. And uh, the cognition, <clears throat> another word for cognition is point of view. And everybody has their own uh, unique point of view. Uh, some people think the world is flat. And the reason that they think that is because, well, the world looks flat. If you look to the right, look to the left, there's a lot of flat. There's not a whole lot around. And so um, they're, they're just people that are stuck in those cognitions, those point of view, and they're unwilling to learn new things and try new things. People once thought that the earth revolved or, or that the universe uh, revolved around the earth. And then we found out later that it was not that way at all. We revolve around the sun. Uh, but once these, once these new ideas were introduced, of course, they were met with anger and, and frustration and even, even uh, threats of death and imprisonment. But yeah, the, um, the cognition the cognition conundrum is that everybody has their own points of view and we have to be willing to give those up and, and, and accept that there might be something else better even out there. And if, I mean, we can try it. If it's not better, then we 
can always go back to where we were. But the, the idea is to get past the, the points of view that, I mean, from it, point of view is an interesting thing because if you're a serial killer, uh, we don't like that. We think serial killer bad, serial killer prison. But the serial killer, from his point of view, he thinks he's doing the right thing or she thinks they're doing the right thing um, because that's that's their point of view. So we have to really stop and think about that. What is my viewpoint? What is my cognition? What's my point of view? Um, where do I fit into this big universe? And how do I see things? And how do I experience things? And then once once you get uh, a little bit of a taste of that, then you can you can grow and you can expand your vision and your horizons and, and see things a little differently. That's the goal anyway. That was the goal of that chapter. Let's look at things a little different than we have been. And people see God as a certain thing, a certain way. And so the whole idea is let's, let's set that aside for just a moment and let's, let's look at a different viewpoint. Let's look at God from a different angle and see if we can come up with something fresh or something exciting even. But, um, that, that was, that was where that chapter was going. Just to say, we, we have, you know, we think the world's flat. We think we revolve around, or the universe revolves around us. We think God is this. God is just. God is hateful. God is vengeful. Uh, and if we take a second look at some of these uh, specific attributes of God, we might actually discover that God is not none of those things. He's love purely. God is love. Love is God. Um, there's no separating the two. And in a, in a, chapter that follows that, you talk about a perception problem in which a particular uh, species of beetles <laughs> almost went extinct due to a very sticky uh, misunderstanding. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, the Australian jewel beetle um, almost went extinct in Australia a, few, uh, a while back because the uh, male looks for the female, which has brown dimples. It's brown and has little tiny dimples on it. So the male looks for that and flies down. The male is the only one that flies. He flies down and, and mates with the female. But what was happening was the uh, males were, uh, in, long story short, they were ending up mating with beer bottles because they looked the same as the, the female. And so because of that, the, the species almost went extinct. You know, it's a classic case of a man leaving a woman for the bottle. So yeah, that's that's what was happening with that. And some sometimes we we just see what we want to see, and we we do with it what we want to do with it, and we finally realize that there's there's nothing fulfilling here. There's nothing happening. There's no mating taking place with a beer bottle. Uh, in fact, Australia uh, decided they actually changed all their beer bottles to white just to protect this uh, this particular beetle from going into extinction. And I guess they're doing better now. I haven't really checked, but. But that, I find yeah, I found that fascinating because we we tend to grab hold of things, thinking that it's one thing, and then we find out after a while that it's just uh, it's not what we thought it was. And the sun is is beating on us; it's drying us out. Uh, if we're not careful, we can get destroyed by ants if we're that if that if we're that beetle. And um, uh, in the same way, you know, theologically, if we get kind of stuck on something, um, our own theology can end up devouring us. And so we have to open our eyes and, and perceive what's in front of us, not just necessarily what we think it is, but let's try to look at it for what it really is, which is in this case is a beer bottle. It's not a female. And so there's just a lot. I really thought that story was interesting. There's just a lot there that you can play with in terms of perception and, and cognition and trying to figure things out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like so many of 
the people that I relate to who go through deconstruction, they, they get so disappointed in themselves for believing something that turned out, in their opinion, not to be accurate, that they decide that there's nothing worth believing in. Do you, do you see that trend toward, I mean, you know, a few uh, years ago, there was an article going around about how progressive Christianity always led to atheism. And I rejected that at the time because I know so many more progressive Christians who never go towards atheism. But is, is there an atheistic season to deconstruction? Do you kind of have to doubt that there's anything? I think so. When I, when I began to deconstruct, I deconstructed everything. I, I no longer believed in God. I no longer believed in the Bible or church or any of that stuff. And, and to be quite honest, I was absolutely relieved to be out, out from underneath that, that thinking and that lifestyle. But after a while, it began to be, um, felt empty. And so when reconstructing, what I really hung to, clung to was Jesus. Because yeah, I definitely, see that there was an opportunity for me to go towards a more atheistic way of thinking and way of living. But there was just this emptiness in me. And I don't know if it's just, I'm not used to this, or I'm scared, or it could have been all of those things. But, you know, Jesus is the only one who has never really let me down uh, in terms of my Christian faith. Um, anytime that, that things have gone wrong, it's usually my fault. You know, he, he and he gets me out of it. He gets, he gets me through these things. But, um, if you don't have something like that to cling to, then it would be very easy. In fact, I've got people that are uh, interacting with me on Facebook even today about how foolish it is for me to believe in Jesus. And they're trying to, um, and doing a good job proving that he never existed, you know, based on what they're reading and the research that they're doing and the Bible's anti-Semitic and things like that. And And I hear that, but I also know, that I followed Jesus for a long time and I trust him and I believe in him. And uh, uh, I believe that he is just as real as you or I. And I believe that everything that's written about him was true. Um, and I believe that, that he, you know, he died, was buried and, and rose again on that third day. And that's about all I have to cling to. Uh, the other stuff, the Calvinism and the Arminianism and the, all the other isms and wasms, uh, I, I just don't care about that anymore. Um, I care about Jesus, showing Jesus, sharing Jesus, and at, trying to live like he lived, trying to live like he, he calls us to live in the, uh, in the Gospels, uh, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and that's not an easy, that's not an easy task, uh, because everything in the world is so diametrically opposed to Jesus. Keith just came out with a new book, Jesus Unarmed. I just finished reading it for him. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Oh, wow. Yes, indeed. Um, and, and right on time for this country. Uh, I, I think this is a book that's going to change the world if people will read it. Yes. But, um, you know, he, he says, you know, it, it, we look for loopholes in trying to follow Jesus. Well, if I follow Jesus, I can't be violent. But what if somebody hits me or what if somebody hits my kid or what if somebody does this? Uh, do I, you know, do I get a chance to be violent then? And what we're saying is, do I really have to follow Jesus? Uh, and, we're, and we're looking for excuses and loopholes and, and things of that nature to get out of it. Because following Jesus is hard if you really think about it. Because our, our nature is not to live the way he lived. It's, it's the exact opposite. If I were alive during the days of Jesus, I'd probably be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Because it's very, very hard to listen to somebody go against everything that, that you're wired to believe you know, 
gun control and things. People are, you know, the Second Amendment, people are just, you know, open carry is supposed to be a big thing now. And they're just so passionate about their guns. But if they would listen to Jesus, you know, they would realize that we don't need that. We don't need guns. We don't need swords. What we need is to share Jesus and share his love and it'll change the world. Yeah, it feels like somewhere along the way we bought into um, a different Jesus than the Jesus of my experience. Um, I think growing up in church, our, our, the, the theology of my childhood was heavily influenced by politics and a, a brand of theology that I've since rejected. And so I've got to be willing to disassemble the God I was taught to believe in and rely more heavily on the Jesus that I have personally experienced for myself. Um, but that's hard. It's hard to know the difference all the time yeah. because that's so woven into who we are at this point, you know? It really is. It's hard to follow Jesus, especially today, uh, because everything, social media, movies, magazines, books, so many things are, are wired against uh, the teachings of Jesus. And it's just like a free-for-all, let's do whatever we want. And I'm I'm a free spirit. I got no problem with, you know, people living that way, but I've discovered Jesus along the way. And I, you know, if I want to be free, I'd rather be free in him uh, than, than free to just do whatever the heck I want without consequence. Um, Cause there's always consequences. You can't do anything without consequences and it has nothing to do with God or Jesus or anything. It's just some things you have consequences for. Yeah. Sometimes we, uh, our lives are difficult because we're stupid and we make bad decisions, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> At least that, that's been my personal experience. Thank <laughs> you. All right. So when we are ready to reconstruct, when we when we've we've deconstructed as much as we can stand to, and we're ready to start building something again, um, is is there a process that you found helpful? Is there is there a way to go about that that makes it somewhat easier for us? For for me, there was uh, when it becomes a process that everybody has to adhere to, then we've lost it. It's, it's no longer there. But for me, reconstruction was, um, was hard because there was so much stuff that I did not want back in my life. Uh, I still have yet to go back to church. Uh, although lately there's just been this, you know, I've been kind of anxious to have some community in my life, some friends, whatever, but I could have that online. I could have that at an AA meeting. It does not necessarily have to be in a, in a church. But, uh, you know, there's, there's still that, and I'm surprised really, because I'm kind of an introvert and a loner and typically I'm okay not being around a lot of people, but lately there's, there's just been this desire to get out and be among other humans and see what's going on. But, um, the, the reconstruction part, once you've deconstructed everything, there's, I mean, technically there's really nowhere to go, but up. Once you've hit rock bottom on your deconstruction, I don't even know what that may look like for somebody, but for me, it was just being rid of everything, having nothing left to hang on to. Uh, and then when I began to reconstruct, the first thing that I grabbed hold of was Jesus because everything in my life from, you know, from the beginning to now, uh, he has been consistent. He has been real and he has been loving and, and forgiving and caring, nurturing. And so I started with that and I dropped the word Christian. I became Jesus follower. Uh, other people I think are doing that too. Um, it's not just something that I came up with. But, you know, when you, when you begin to build on Jesus, you have to really, you know, go back and read the Gospels, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, which is where Jesus shares so much of how we're supposed to live. Um, 
and, and emulate him. And then we go, you know, I've been actually reading um, some of the Old Testament as well because I <laughs> just didn't like it. Uh, I was against the Old Testament. I just didn't care about it anymore. But now looking back, I've discovered some things that, um, that you know, maybe it's not so bad after all. If you just, if you look at certain things, certain ways, um, it can be okay. But and, and that's just been the process in my mind of trying to put some things back together. Uh, and I've been reading a lot of books by Brad Jerzak and by um, Rachel Held Evans, God bless her, and Brian Zond and David Bentley Hart. And I've just, I've been reading so many books lately, it's hard to keep up with all of them. But, you know, just hearing what other people have to say about that, um, the book, A More Christ-Like God, really helped me start putting things back together. Because, you know, I never, I've always known that Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But somehow it never connected in my brain. The dots never connected. It's like, when you've seen me, Jesus says, you're seeing God. And so I look at Jesus and it's like, okay, that's God. God is teaching on the hill. He's bringing the children close to him. He's feeding the hungry. He's healing the sick. He's doing all these things. And it's like, wow, unbelievable. Because, you, you know, for so long, we see God as a mean stepfather who um, is just waiting for us to screw up so he can rub our noses in it and say, see, I told you, you're just not good without me. You're no good without me. You've got to have me in your life or you're going to go you're gonna go crazy. That's that. A narcissistic God, and I just didn't want that anymore. Uh, and when you know, seeing Jesus, seeing God through Jesus, changed my life in, in a big, big way. Changed my thinking, my believing, in a big way. Just long story short, I'm happier today in my beliefs than I've ever been. And I've been in, you know, I've been following Jesus since 1983. I believed in God even when I was a child, but I really made a commitment to it in '83. And I've, you know, gone through ministry. And this, that, and the other, I've been through marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, uh, remarriage, and, and so many things have happened in life. But the one thing that has never let me down is Jesus. And he's always been there, even during the worst seasons of my life, he's been there. And so it's very hard when you're reconstructing not to grab hold of Jesus. Because, I mean, you don't have to. You can, you can look somewhere else. You can grab hold of Brad Jerzak if you want, or Jason Elam. But if you want to, you know, if you want to get back to what is real and substantial, you go back to Jesus and you discover that he's not the Jesus you thought he was. He's not the God that you thought he was. They're one and the same. And, and the Jesus and the Gospels is God. And it's just, it's so amazing to see that because you, you read the Old Testament, and you, you know, you see God committing genocide and ordering people to be killed and things. And it just doesn't reconcile with uh, with what Jesus is. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And it's like, wow, okay. So now reading the Old Testament, I'm going back and I'm trying to see Jesus in that. So you had said uh, that you are happier with your beliefs now than you've ever been. What difference has deconstruction and reconstruction, what difference has reconstruction made in your life, your everyday life? It's really helped me to, um, to experience the love of God for myself. Uh, for so long, I tried to share that love with other people, but never really thought about how it relates or pertains to me as a, as a person. You know, when you're Pastor Todd, you just kind of have to take care of everybody else. You don't really have a lot of time to think for yourself or think about yourself. And then you're even discouraged to think about yourself because you're, you're the pastor. But 
Uh, so for, I did that for, you know, almost 30 years. And so when I finally got away from all that and had nothing left, I began to look at myself and say, what, what have I done? What have I allowed myself to experience with, with God and with Jesus? And it was, it was pretty dry, to be honest. It was very dry. And so that, that became my mission was to experience God's love for myself. And, um, uh, in uh, Keith Giles second, second square class or square two class, there's a, a section where he tells us to go, uh, in front of the mirror and say, I am the one that Jesus, or I am the one that Jesus loves. Yeah. I'm the one that Jesus loves. And you know, practicing that, it's like, you know what? Hey, maybe, uh, maybe there's something there. Uh, I'm, I'm the one Jesus loves, you know, just like everybody else. I'm, I'm no different. I'm no worse because I always thought, you know, Jesus couldn't possibly love me because he knows all of my flaws. And so my mission was to just kind of put myself aside and share that love with other people. But that was even hard to do because I'd never really experienced it for myself. And so I've experienced that in these last few years. I just feel free. I feel like um, I know I'm going to mess up from time to time, but it's okay. God says, okay, let's just dust off, try it again. And there's, there's forgiveness and there's grace and it's for me. Uh, it's, 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 it, you know, things that I now apply to myself as much as anybody else. And I, I just feel free. I feel like there's nothing in the world that can separate me from the love of God. So now I'm starting to catch up with, you know, what the Bible says and this and that. But some of us are slow learners, Jason. So just gotta, gotta, gotta be patient with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us are slow learners. We just don't recognize it until later. <laughs> And I think that's that's the biggest difference that deconstruction has made for me is that I think hopefully there's a humility about my faith now that didn't exist before. I mean, I was so arrogant at one point I could strut sitting down. I mean, I was so full of myself and my beliefs. Um, I was the preacher that pastors would bring in when their folks would get out of line and start questioning too much because I just come in and bulldoze you with the Bible. I mean, you, it's been called the sword of the spirit. For me, it was a bludgeoning instrument. I mean, I was hurting people with the Bible. But after deconstruction and, and once I've started to reconstruct my faith, it's, it's just like, you know, there's always this root of I was wrong about so much for so long that I could be wrong about anything else and not know it for a long time. And so I kind of hold my beliefs with an open hand and just invite God, the universe, the community to challenge those things and, and trusting that I'm going to grow through that. I think there's a lot of faith in you going back to, to get your master's degree now in an evangelical world. You're basically daring that culture to test and refine the faith you have today. That's what I was hoping it would do. How's that been for you so far? Is that is that difficult? Sometimes um, it's hard to be called a heretic by your classmates and hard to get little emails, private emails from your professor saying, you know, by the way, this just isn't, this isn't quite what we believe. I was like, I know that, but I'm a little more progressive than, than the rest of you. Yeah, being there has really helped to... Uh, galvanize my deconstruction, reconstruction, and, and help me to really take hold of the person that I am now uh, and, and not fall back into that uh, evangelical uh, conservative stuff. And, and what I have discovered, in all fairness, is that not everything that I'm being taught is bad. Some of it's very refreshing and very helpful. 
uh, the stuff that I don't agree with, I just don't agree with. Uh, penal substitutionary atonement is the big one they're pushing right now. And I just, I don't believe in that anymore. And I'm okay with the fact that I don't believe in it anymore. I don't feel guilty about it. Uh, I just don't, I think, I think the gospel is not only good news, but it's great news. And it's because we're okay. Um, Jesus has taken care of things and um, we're all good now. Is that going to hurt you on your grades in your classes? So far it hasn't. Yeah, so far it hasn't. I wondered about that, but I wrote a rather scathing paper a while back uh, that I thought for sure was going to get flunked because, you know, it was so anti-evangelical, but I actually made a good grade on it. Oh, good. Um, no comment from the professor, but I think the paper was well-written, he said. And <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I hope you continue to have experiences like that. Let's talk oh, again about this, this new book, The Reconstructing of Your Mind. What do you want people to know about that book before we end our conversation today? Uh, mainly that they're not alone that we all are going through these things and that I'm just a friend who says, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you through it any way I can. Uh, and there's other great books out there. There's better books out there that I could highly recommend. But I wanted my book to just be a hand, just give somebody a hand and say, here, take my hand. Let's walk through this. Let's see what, uh, let's see what falls off. Let's see what sticks. And let's see if we can get you started on a reconstruction journey. Because what I found was in deconstruction, I was becoming the same person that I was before, the, the bitter, judgmental, critical of everybody and everything. And, and I just was not satisfied with that. I couldn't live like that again because it had been, you know, 30 something years. Everybody else is wrong and we're right. And I, I didn't want to go through that again. Uh, and so, so that's when I realized that deconstruction is not the end. It's only the beginning. And so reconstructing, you just kind of throw everything aside and you just start with zero. Uh, for me, I started with zero and then went to Jesus. And then from Jesus, it's just been more Jesus, more Jesus, and just you know, trying to figure trying to figure him out. And I probably would take a lifetime to do that. So I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> you, met, you mentioned not going back to church, at least not so far. Um, is there anything you miss about it? I miss the friendships. Um, I do have good friends that I used to go to church with, and they're always praying for me and things. But, you know, I don't miss the the we're right and they're wrong scenario that comes up all the time. But there are certain things that I miss about it, just being a part of something, believing in something, belonging to something. But I'm going to be very picky about that going forward. Let's talk, if you don't mind specifically, and I mean, we could edit this out if you're uncomfortable with the question, but it, I, my memory serves. Um, a couple of years ago, you were involved with a church plan, right? You had like started going somewhere and got pretty involved with it and seemed pretty excited about it and seemed to think that it was different um, because you were already deconstructing quite a bit then. What happened? It, uh, it turns out that it wasn't so different. We made some good friends and, and the people are very kind. Uh, and then we did have some good experiences along the way, but then it just became, this is the same stuff that, that I've been trying to get away from. So uh, we just kind of scooted back and removed ourselves from the situation. Uh, and they still call and invite us to things and that and the other, but we just didn't feel like we could be ourselves around them. I mean, we did at one time, but then the longer we stayed around, the, the less we were able to be ourselves. And we felt more like we were expected to conform and be a part of this and do this and do that. And, and I hated that because I really thought that we'd found something. Uh, so it was a great, it was greatly disappointing uh, and discouraging, but um, there's, there's always something else. And even if we have to create our own, which I don't 
care to do that. But, I, you know, some people can do that. And I, I just don't feel like I'm one of them. But if, you know, if we create our own group and somebody else leads it, I could probably deal with that. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy without it. Um, on Sunday mornings, I just meditate and think about Jesus and think about what's going on in, in our lives and, and, and how we're coming along, how far we've come since, you know, five years ago. And it's just, it's, it's encouraging to, uh, to see that. Good. Do you miss preaching? I do. I miss it a lot. I just got invited to do a conference next year. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm glad I've got months to prepare, but uh, yeah, I do miss the preaching part of it. Uh, the connection with people in that. And of course I'd, you know, I say that and then I remember the stuff that I was preaching and it's like, <laughs> uh, if I could go back and change that, it would be, yeah. it would be better. But right. uh, if I get a chance to do it again, it's going to be a lot different. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure you will. Uh, that's one of the things that I miss the most. I mean, first thing I, first thing I miss the most is the people. I miss the people, but second, I really miss preaching. And I, there's a part of me that feels bad for that as if I like being the center of attention and I like everybody listening to me and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of like for so long, whether rightly or wrongly, I believe that's what I was born to do. And so you miss not doing that thing that you thought you were born to do for so long. Plus, I just think I'd be a better preacher now than I used to be because, like I said, I think there's a humility about it. I think there's room for everybody now that probably didn't exist before. And so I, I, I struggle with that. I mean, um, I, I will say this, though. You know, I, I started a couple of different churches in a couple of different places, and they always, it always ended badly. It was always a small group, struggled financially the whole time. It would start to take off and then I'd start, you know, talking about Jesus's views on war and guns and things like that. And that doesn't go over really well in the Bible Belt of Alabama, you know. And, um, you know, it would dwindle down and eventually would get discouraged and quit doing it. But I look back and think some of those things were a lot more successful than I thought they were at the time. Yeah, definitely. Because there were people with real relationships who were serving their community and, and feeding the hungry and loving each other. And I mean, you know, maybe that struggle to exist is okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I was uh, interacting with somebody on social media the other day. They had read my book or they'd heard, no, they'd heard me on the This Is Not Church podcast. Oh, yeah. With John and Nat Turney, those guys, I just love, love them. those guys, yeah. Uh, I, I see no need for me to continue podcasting as long as they're around and you're around. <laughs> well, that's what I said <laughs> when they started was I don't need to do this anymore. But again, I missed it. I miss having conversations like this with you. And so when I get an opportunity, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Same here. But uh, he, he said, uh, Todd Vick, you seem like you're a very humble guy. And I was like, oh, thank God, because for the longest time, I was not a humble guy. Uh, and if it's, if it's hum, if it's humility, it's hard earned. I can promise you that. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, a lot of, just a lot of processing to go that went through that. But, you know, five years ago, I was not a humble guy. I was the pastor and this is how things we needed to be. And if it wasn't that way, then I'd have to you know sit down with you and say, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And, and it was just, it was, I didn't like it. I didn't like myself as the arrogant preacher. And so, like you said, if I went back today, it would be a different level of humility. And, and um, yeah, it would be a lot different in so many ways. Uh, but I, I don't miss the, the guy that I was before. He, he was he was arrogant. Same here. I was, I was thinking as you were talking just now about so many people 
who do, you know, we, we're constantly, you and I and Carl Forehand and Keith Giles and people like us are constantly saying you are not alone. And I think that's such an important message uh, for folks because it feels absolutely alone when you're in it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly hearing about people who are deconstructing and seem to be really doing well with their deconstruction um, who are, you know, attempting suicide and, and things like that because it's such a life change and such a, an, you know, we're, we're deconstructing part of who we are and it makes us question so much and it does feel absolutely alone. And so many of the people who we thought loved us before don't want anything to do with us when we start showing our true face. Um, what do you say to people like that who are in the struggle of their life? Well, like you said, and, and it sounds simplistic, but it's true. You're not alone. There are a lot more of us out there than, than people realize. There are a lot more people that think like, like we do, decon, you know, deconstructing. They're tired of the way things are. They need something fresh. And so they are, they are not alone. Uh, and there's, there's a lot more of us out there that can encourage them. I, I found a great group of people in you and Keith and Carl and uh, so many others. But, uh, you know, for somebody else, there's a whole other group of people out there. Uh, and me personally, I want to be that to them. I want to be that person that takes their hand and says, hey, let's walk through this. Let me let me help any way that I can. And the best way I know to do that right now is just by writing books because um, I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching online or anything. I, I figure Keith has done all of that. So I, I, I can just rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're going to be comparing ourselves to Keith, we've got to write a book once a week, right? <laughs> Yeah, with with one hand behind her back <laughs> in our sleep. <laughs> now you have been that people, that person for so many, and I, I remember hearing um, what an impact you made, even in like uh, Cody and Elaine Johnston's life. Um, they really took to you and really loved their conversations with you. And so, I mean, I know you're having more of an impact than it feels like you're having at any given moment, you know. And you've walked beside so many people for so long. And I just hope you just stick on this journey with us and be patient with us. We're not all going to be in the same place at the same time. Um, I, I find it difficult. Sometimes I bristle, unfortunately, um, when I see somebody who is so completely deconstructed that they're, they're on that atheistic side. But not only are they on their atheistic side, they're, they're like militantly atheistic, you know. But then I remember... You know, I, I was exactly that way for evangelicalism at one point. And so maybe we can all handle each other with more grace. I think so. I, I believe we can. And, we, and, and the world needs more of that, right? Right. We, we just got to receive it for ourselves and experience it for ourselves. And then it's so much easier to share that grace uh, with others. I, I was part of a church a few years ago. The youth group came up with this thing um, where they made little cards that had the word grace on them. And if somebody was having a bad day, they would hand them a grace card or if somebody had done something wrong, you know, here's a grace card for you. And so I just, you know, I want to give out not real literal grace cards, but I want to be able to give out grace like that myself every day and first to myself and then to everyone else. And, and it's so much easier once you've forgiven yourself, once you've given grace to yourself and allowed God's grace to permeate your life. Uh, where for so long it was like, oh, I'm so undeserving, I'm so unworthy, I'm such a worm, I'm such a scumbag, I'm this and that. But when you allow God's grace to, to, to cleanse you and to permeate you and to build you up again, it's so much easier to, to go to somebody and say, hey, I just want you to know 
that God loves you. And I know that sounds trite, cliche, but it's very, very true. God loves you um, and things like that. And I don't have many opportunities to do that because I work from home and I'm here all the time. But I just I want to be that voice, uh, that that vessel of, of grace and peace and um, kindness and gentleness and all the fruits of the spirit because because for such a long time I wasn't and I'm 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 going to be 54 next month and I just feel like I really want to take the rest of my years and and use them uh accordingly as best as I can until you know my my days are up but it's just you know I had a couple of good friends pass away recently that are about oh, my sorry. age and so it's made me really think you know what am I doing how am I how am I helping people how am I you know, impacting the world. Uh, and if it's not through my books and I won't write anymore, I'll try something else, but I love writing books. So I may just keep doing it anyway. I've got a, a third book in progress that deals with shame and guilt because those were my two companions for most of my life. Um, it's, it's going to be called the releasing of your mind. Okay. And it's going to be, it's going to be centered around the, um, Gadarene demoniac, uh, story. Uh, and we're just going to kind of go through the bounce off of that and deal with shame in certain areas of our lives. Uh, it's coming together. I can't really say much more about it right now because that's about all I got. Uh, but it's, it's definitely coming together. Once I finish school for this semester, I'll have time to really sit down and start typing it out again, getting back into it. I'm re-outlining it now and thinking of some things. But anyway, I'm excited about getting back to that on a, on a regular basis. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that book. Um, James Early, you may know from some of the groups online, mm-hmm. uh, he had asked me, what biblical character would you want to meet and have a convert? And what would you ask them? And I chose the Gerasene demoniac. And uh, I, I've always just wondered what happened to him that led him mm-hmm. to that situation. You know, what led to him being in chains? What led to all of the pain of his life? And then what happened after he was set free? You know, so that's fascinating to me. And, uh, you know, shame has been my constant companion as well. So I really look forward to that book. And I hope you'll come back and talk to me about it when it's ready to go. Oh, you know, I will. Okay, good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, brother, I, I, don't, I don't say this enough, but I love you. And I appreciate you and your voice in this world. And the, the, this world would not be the same for me without Todd Vick in it. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to catch up. And I'm looking forward to your work in the future. Also, uh, you'll have a chapter in the Parenting Through Deconstruction book that's coming out uh, probably in the spring that I've been putting together. Brandy and I have been working together on that. She is the master copy editor. And I basically just invite a bunch of people to submit chapters uh, that I respect and love, and you're one of them. And so I'm looking forward to your participation in that. And maybe we'll have another conversation with a few of us authors of that book, co-authors, and uh, maybe we can talk again soon. Absolutely. I would look forward to that. And I, I love you and I appreciate you. Um, I know we hardly ever, we've never met in person. We hardly ever get to sit down and talk like this, but I, I still consider you to be one of my best friends. Yeah. So I'm just thankful for you. I feel that the same way. And, you know, Eric and I, producer Eric and I have a wrestling podcast. So I think we need to unpack your wrestling story at some point on uh, the Power Bomb Power Hour podcast. I would look forward to that. If you're willing to do that, it'll be fun. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining me today. You bet. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. 
If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or by joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can help us produce future episodes by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash messy spirituality. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at messyspirituality.org. We'll be back soon with another new episode.